Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Praise God. I would fare to say God has been good to River Valley in, in 2022. And uh, it's only going to get better. Amen? And uh, I believe God is going to continue to do amazing things in our midst. And we have seen God do powerful, powerful work in, in, in lives this year. And as you saw in the video, um, actually, we had somebody rededicate their life this Sunday. And uh, uh, been away from God. And uh, they had rededicated their life back to the Lord. And so we thank God for that. And uh, I'm proud of the ministries, our ministries and what they're doing, what our youth ministry is doing, what our children's ministries are doing, and what our Embrace Grace and Life ministries are doing. They're ministering to uh, incredible women are going through these programs, and God is just absolutely touching them. Not only touching them, but they're coming to the Lord. And they're winning them to Jesus. And so that's what it's about. Amen? And God is good. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word tonight, if you'll turn with me to the book of Psalms 92. I'm going to begin a series tonight, and, uh, and I'll, just have to, I'll just be blunt and really honest with you. This is something that started stirring in my spirit in February. And, uh, and I felt like, uh, you know, we know that in the earlier part of this year, um, you know, we, we had some shifting and changes take place and leadership of our church and, and things that happened. And ever since then, it's been in my spirit um, to, to teach and to preach on uh, what a healthy church is. And so tonight I'm going to begin a series over the next several weeks on the foundations uh, of a healthy church. And the foundations of a healthy church. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about church structure. We're going to talk about what the New Testament and Old Testament has to say about church structure. What, is, what, is, what does the New Testament teach about church government and, church, and how a church should be structured? And um, how is leadership to be structured? Who, who, who leads the church? And how is it to be led? And how is it to come to the place where it finds vision and where it meets and does everything that God has called it to do? Well, for six months I've been reading, I've got counsel from pastors who pastor great churches, not, not measly churches of people that you know are, de- are steeped in religion or steeped in traditionalism, but I'm, I'm talking about churches that are shaking our, our world. And, and I sought counsel and I've prayed and I've asked God, I've read, I've read books, I've studied, I've sought throughout the Old and New Testament. And so I'm just going to share with you a few things in the next few weeks about how church government should be. How should this church be governed? How should it govern? How Biblically, how should it be governed? Not, not what I would want, not what you would want, but how, what does the Bible say about church structure? How many know God is a God of order? And God is, an order, God is a God of structure? And that God operates through that. And we know, we see throughout all of Scripture, God honors when we're obedient to what His Word says. And how many know above everything else, we need to be obedient to what the Word of God says? And regardless of who it offends or who it hurts. You know what I mean? And I don't know about you all, but you know, I have been part of churches, I have seen churches that are so steeped in religion and so steeped in tradition that... Their church government is so dysfunctional that they couldn't, they couldn't grow if, if you put miracle grow on them. How many of y'all know what I'm saying? And it's like every few years, the church goes through a, a split or, or a transformation because it's, it's, its leadership is not in order or its foundations are not right or the pastor has alternative motives and he abuses the office of a pastor and he abuses the liberties that he's been given or leadership becomes offended and, and, and because of that, it, it drives them to, to want to push a certain agenda. Y'all with me tonight? Y'all with me? Y'all been a part of places like that? 
And I refuse, I'll just tell you all, I refuse to allow us to become a place like that. And to become a church like that. Because God has called us to greater things. Higher things. And God has called us to do things that are far beyond what we could do in the natural. And I'm telling you, if we will partner with God, if we will catch God's vision for our lives, if we will partner with Him and make every effort to uh, structure ourselves to the place where we, uh, we have order and, and we have a place where we promote vision and we elevate and we win souls and we preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do, church, is to preach the gospel and freedom to the captive. If we will do that, I guarantee you God will put His anointing and His hand on this church and we won't be able to contain the people that will come into this building seeking hope and freedom and deliverance. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I want to go there. I want to go there. But it takes sacrificial, it takes sacrifice, it takes selflessness, it takes a willingness to uh, be submitted and to lead and to be led and to hear the voice of God and God's direction in our life. We're going to talk about all of that because it's important. And, um, and, and so it, it is important. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But tonight, the first part of this message or this series, uh, before I get into church structure, I want to talk about the power of covering. The power of covering in our life. This church is to be a covering for your life. And we're to have covering in our life. And God has created the church to be a covering for us. And so I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. The power of covering. The power of having a covering in your life. I've met people uh, that says, I, I don't need church. I serve God in my own way, right? That I'll serve Him in my living room. Or, or Let me just tell you something. God never intended for us to be outside the body of the church. It's in the body of the church you're going to find fulfillment. It's in the body of the church you're going to find your destiny. It's where you're going to find your purpose. It's where you're going to find fulfillment in your life. It's where you're going to find strength and support in times of trouble, in times of difficulty. It's within that body. And there's power in the covering of the church and power in the covering of spiritual leaders in our life and having spiritual leaders in our life. Well, I'm not going to get too far too fast. So turn to Psalms 92 if you would. I want to begin reading. This is a powerful psalm. This is one of my favorite psalms. In 2020, I read this psalm almost every day. And uh, I prayed this psalm over my family all through the year. This was a psalm that, uh, a scripture that I declared for my family in 2020. I prayed it over my kids. I sent them, they got tired of me sending texts of Psalm 92 to them. Um, but it's a powerful psalm. But it is, a, it is a powerful. Let's begin reading in verse 1. And I want to read a few verses and then we'll get right into it. Um, Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I'm reading from the New American Standard tonight, by the way, uh, because of some of the language that I want you to hear. Will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will, he will save you from the fowler's snare. And from the deadly pestilence, He will cover you with His feathers. And under His wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Amen. Amen. What a great passage of Scripture. What do you think of when you think of covering or being undercover? There are several things. I think of a, of a child that is nestled up against its mother uh, under a blanket that's covered, that's protected by uh, a mother or a grandmother. I think of animals in the thicket that are 
under that shelter and covering that they are, they are hidden away from predators that try to take them out. I remember hunting in Arkansas one time and I was walking through the woods going to my deer stand and as I was walking I looked over and I saw this flitching and I looked over and in this thicket, I mean it was perfect, perfect covering in this thicket, there was a baby deer that was there. Just a tiny little deer. And it didn't move. It just stayed there. It was in stealth. Completely under the cover of that thicket. And I thought, man, there's something about that 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 baby deer feels protected by being under the cover of that thicket. Um, covering. A child hiding behind its parents. Have you seen shy children hide behind their parents when they're approached by, by people? Um, I've always felt safe uh, in the house when a storm would come. I always felt safe in the house, you know, when it was raining outside and the storms would come. And uh, um, we lived in Arkansas and we had a couple tornadoes come through our area while we were there. And you could hear all the racket and the noise going on outside, but there was just something about being under the cover of a home. And so, but here in Psalms 91, 1 through 7, uh, we see that there are some benefits that we see here. In verse 5, the Bible says that you, uh, under the shelter of the Almighty, you will have rest. Um, verse 2 tells us that there is safety. Um, that we find, uh, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. There's safety, there's refuge. Verse 3, we see that surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, the trap of the enemy. Uh, the trap of the enemy. Um, and so we find ourselves being protected in verse 3 from deadly disease that we're covered from deadly disease. And in verse, in verse 5, that the evil one cannot touch us. Um, and so there's a boatload of promises right there in those first five or seven verses of Scripture that those are, are promises that, that have been given to us you see that there is these promises. So, who, um, verse 1 says, He, whoever dwells, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, whoever dwells, some translation says this, um, those who dwell in the shelter of the Almighty. Um, but listen what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, it doesn't say everybody lives under the shelter of the Almighty. It says, He who is sheltered under the Almighty. Or he who dwells under the shelter of the Almighty. It doesn't say everybody dwells under the shelter of the Almighty. It says he who is, who does dwell under the shelter of the Almighty. And so, who is under the shelter of the Almighty? Before I state who, um, uh, let's summarize these benefits. And so, the promises of being undercover are being under the shelter of the Almighty, of being living in God's shelter. There's benefits in being and living in God's shelter, being under God's authority in our lives. There's the, there's the uh, promise of peace in our life. There's the promise of protection. And there's the promise of provision. There's the promise of peace. There's the promise of protection. And there's the promise of, of uh, provision. In our life, we see that uh, in these passages of Scripture. And how many think that's a good benefit in being undercover in God's and under God's authority in our life? To have peace in our life, to have protection in our life, and to have provision in our life. That's what that's the benefits of being under the covering of God's house, under the covering of the shelter of God, being under God's authority. Being under the living right under God's uh, word, living in conjunction and in agreement with God's word, there's the benefits of being in there. How many are thankful for the peace of God that is in your life? Amen. How many are thankful that you're not crazy and you haven't lost your mind and that God has given you peace? Even in the midst of difficulty, you find peace in the middle of storms. Amen. How many are thankful for the protection of God that's in your life? How He's protected your family and protected your finances in your home. He's protected your life. Some of you, He's even spared your life. Amen. 
Some of you would be dead today had it not been for the mercy of God. Where would you be today had not God showed His mercy towards you and the protection of God that is in your life? He protects you. And how many are thankful that you live under the provision of God? God is my source tonight. God is your source tonight. And sometimes we try to rely on everything else but God. I'm telling you there is a promise for the believer that dwells in the shelter of the Almighty, who dwells under the protection and the provision and the peace of the living God. There is a provision that is for you. God will provide for you and take care of you, even in the midst of difficult times. Now, who is under this cover? Who is this? Who is this that's under cover? And I'm going to tell you who that is. Those who are under the shelter of the Almighty are those who are under the authority of God. That's who those are. Those that dwell in the shelter of the Almighty are those who have, who have submitted themselves under the authority of God. And so when you talk about, when you say uh, that word today, authority, number one, people get nervous. Uh, you say that word today in society and everybody gets nervous. And for good reason. Why? Because, because many of us have had cruel, harsh, and bad leaders, right? I mean, people get nervous when you talk about authority. and You talk about the authority, uh, being under the authority of God and being under uh, authority, delegated authority that God puts in our life. We get nervous because somewhere along the line, all of us, have been around cruel, uh, unjust, harsh, and sometimes even bad leaders in our lives. And so every one of us have had imperfect leaders, that's for sure. You have an imperfect leader tonight. As your pastor, how many know I'm not perfect? And there's areas of imperfection that are in my life. And so even as your pastor, there's imperfections that are in my life. And so, you know, sometimes we suffer under... Uh, the imperfection of leaders. All leaders have imperfection. So all of us suffer under the, under the imperfection of leaders. The second reason is that, is that we shelter, <coughs> and this is, this is more important, is we don't see authority through God's perspective. And so, you know, when we talk about authority... Sometimes we don't see or recognize authority from God's perspective. God has a perspective of authority that He wants to impart into our lives. And if we come in agreement with God, God will reveal what authority, what true spiritual authority is in our life. What's it mean to be under the authority of God in our life? To be to dwell in the shelter of the Almighty, to dwell under that protection, provision. And, 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 and peace in our life. What does that mean? I mean, what's it mean to dwell in, in that protection and authority of God's perfection? There is the world's view of authority, and, and there is, uh, there's God's view of authority. And, uh, and so I added another one to it because I think there is a religious view of God's authority. I think there is the world's view of authority, and, and, and really the world's view is to reject authority. There is an anti-authority uh, movement in our nation. Most people reject authority. They don't like authority. They don't come under authority. They don't want to be governed by no one. They don't want no one telling them what to do. And they don't understand that the protection of authority in their life is to bring protection, provision, and peace in their life. That's what authority does. It brings that covering in our life. But most people will reject authority. So there's, world, there's, there's the world view of authority, there's the God's view of authority, and then there's the religious view of authority, of which I added that myself. And, uh, and so by rejecting authority... Uh, we have had bad experiences with authority, so we reject all authority. That's what happens in the body of Christ. We have bad experiences with authority, so we all in turn, all of a sudden now, we reject all authority. Well, I understand that. 
I mean, you understand that, right? If you've ever been at the, at the suffering of, of cruel authority or unjust authority or authority that has uh, let you down, um, then you understand that. You find it hard. But here's the thing. The consequences of not being under authority are covering, are removing ourselves from God's shelter. There's consequences that come when we move, remove ourselves from the authority of God in our life. There's consequences. I want to read those to you. Um, there's unrest, fear, anxiety will come in your life. You'll be vulnerable uh, to life and its, and its attacks. You will live in lack in all realms of life. And so, when you have unrest, fear, and anxiety, instead of peace, you have unrest, fear, and anxiety. Instead of protection, you become vulnerable to the enemy. And instead of provision, you have lack, or you live in lack in every area or rim of your life. If you don't want peace, provision, or protection, let me just say right here, this is the time to tune me out right now. <laughs> because if you, if you will uh, not, um, you will not enjoy this, the teaching from this point on. If, if you reject authority in your life and say, I, I am not, I don't, I'm not submitting to God's authority in my life, I'm not even submitting to the Word of God. There's things in the Word of God I don't even agree with. Well, we don't have to agree with it, but that doesn't make it not true, right? Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that the Word of God is not true. And, uh, and so we have to understand that there's consequences for coming out under the authority of God in our life. Coming out under the shelter of the Almighty. It's important because it's important because God's best for you is found, is found under the covering of God's authority in your life. God's best for you, your, your, your destiny, your purpose is found when you come into agreement and submission to His Word and to the people that God places in your life. The authorities that God placed in your life. You will find God will move in your life exponentially when we come in agreement with those who God has put in our lives. And so it's important that we remain under God's authority, under His covering. And so we have a huge challenge in this hour as a church. We have a huge challenge as the body of Christ. The challenge is to teach authority to a society that does not like authority. <laughs> right? I mean, what a challenge it is to teach authority to a nation and a people who don't like authority. Right? And it's, in, and it's I mean, you know, you hear, you hear all the time, you know, question authority, question authority. You know, that's what's pumped into the brains of our, of our college students. I mean, I was talking with Zach on Monday. He had come by and we were talking. And he was telling me, he's like, Pastor. He said, you know, in my classes, that's all I hear. That's all I hear is to, is to reject government. Reject your parents. Be a free thinker. Do your own thing. Don't let nobody tell you what to do. Don't come under, you know, and to... To be all out there, to be a free thinker, free liver. You know, do whatever feels good in your life. How many know that whatever feels good is not always the right thing to do? Right? Matter of fact, before I got saved, I did what was felt good. And, and now think of where it leads us. And so we're taught to our society as reinforces the rejection of authority in our life, the rejection of coming under uh, lordship and covering. Let me just tell you, I, in my early Christian life, I learned the power of lordship in my life. I learned the power of lordship. I learned the power of coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And even when there were things that I struggled in agreement with, I continued to stay steadfast. I sought the Word of God. I studied it out. But I came under the lordship of it because I knew God was a better protector of my life and provider of my life than I was. Right? 
How many know God knows how to do it better than we do? Thank you, Jesus. And so we have a huge challenge to teach authority to a society that doesn't like authority. So in the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking about truths and bringing those truths out that are against how we think in society. And, uh, and it's, it's, you know, how society rolls, how they push back. And there's good reason for that. I'm going to make a statement here. You, you may want to write this down. And there's, there's good reason for why there's such pushback against authority. Because Satan, how many know Satan? Satan wants to ruin our thinking. Satan makes what leads to bondage appear as good and portrays what liberates as bondage. You hear what I'm saying? Satan makes appear, he leads, he, he makes us think that what leads us into bondage is good for us. And he makes us think that what is, liberates us is bondage. So when we talk about things of submitting to God, submitting to God's authority in our life, <coughs> submitting to one another as believers, we look at that, our nature, our, our physical nature says, I don't want to do that. I don't want, you know, and Satan will say, he'll lie to us believing that making us believe that that which brings us into bondage is, gives us freedom when it's not true. The true is that when you don't submit to the things of God, you live in bondage. You're not liberated. You're not free. You're, you're bound. And so it's exactly what Satan tried to do in the garden. Eve looked at the tree. Listen to this. The Bible says that Eve looked at the tree and said it was good. She looked at it and said it was good. She didn't look at it and said, oh, that's evil. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> that's not how. Listen, it became attractive to her. And she thought the tree was good for her and her husband. And that God was withholding something good for her. That's the lie of Satan. Satan says that when you are called to authority or called to live under authority, that that's a bad thing. Somebody's holding you back. Somebody's keeping something from you. Eve thought God was hiding something from her. He was really protecting her. And as long as they didn't eat of the tree that was in the garden, they had peace, they had protection, and they had provision. They could eat of any tree in the garden but that one. And they come under God's authority. And God said, don't eat of this tree. But she looked at it and she saw that it was good. She felt that God was withholding something good from her. And that's how we think. Listen, let me tell you as a pastor, I tell people all the time, people come and get saved and they, get, they come and make a decision for Christ. But what happens is, is they don't want to leave their old lifestyle. They want what Jesus gives, but they don't want to give up the bondage that they have in their life so that they can live a life now of freedom they want to hang on to that old life. Y'all hear what I'm saying? They want to hang on to that unsaved boyfriend that they can continue to sleep with and have sex with and not feel any conviction from God. Or they can continue to live uh, a lifestyle unmarried and living, you know, that way. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? But they want Jesus. They want Jesus. And so the lie of Satan has said that by... Submitting to God or breaking up with that boyfriend or leaving that situation or leaving that old lifestyle that now you're going to be under the bondage of the church. You got to stop living, right? You, you know, I can't party anymore. My life's going to end. Really? I mean, think about it for a moment. I, I, had, an old, I had a friend, he was an older gentleman. He was a drunk. He had been a drunk for like 40 years and he got radically saved and God pulled him out of, of, of those bars and casinos and places that he would go and that he would engage in drinking and he was driving by one of them one day and he said, Pastor Shane, he said, the devil got on my shoulder and said to me, don't you wish you were in there right now? 
Aren't you wondering what they're doing inside that bar right now? And he said, that devil whispered to me, and he said, for a moment there I thought, and he said, then I said, I answered him. I said, devil, I'll tell you what they're doing there right, in there right now. They're doing the same thing they were doing 10 years ago when I came out of there. The bathrooms smell the same. The people are doing the same. They're sitting at the same tables, drinking the same drinks, and the same people that were in there 10 years ago are the same folks that are in there today. And he said, I began to rejoice in the fact that I was no longer bound by that lifestyle, but I had a freedom that came to my life in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, liberty came to my life when I got saved. Right? Y'all hear me? I mean, I didn't have to wake up with hangovers anymore. Huh? I didn't have to wake up wondering how in the world I got on my kitchen floor. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, listen, I went out one night and I woke up the next morning. I was laying on the tile kitchen floor and my dad was kicking me in the rear end. And he's like, what are you doing? I don't even know how I got home. I don't even know how I got home. And, and I thought to myself, when I think of that lifestyle, when I think about what that did for me, that pleasure of satisfying the flesh, and then I, I think of what Jesus has done for me, this freedom that He has given me, what He set me free from. I have a clear mind now. My body is free. I feel the presence of God and I can live in liberty and freedom in my life. I don't have to live under the bondage of this world. I don't wake up every day wondering how I'm going to find happiness or how I'm going to find satisfaction in my life that it comes from the next hit of a marijuana or the next drink or the next sexual encounter. But it comes now waking up and fellowshipping with the God who gave me my life back. Huh? How many are thankful that God gave you a second chance and gave you your life back? Hallelujah. I mean, where would we be without the presence of the Lord today? I don't even know how I got on that. I've lost my place. <laughs> Hallelujah. Satan makes what leads to bondage appear as good and portrays what liberates as bondage. And, uh, and so we see that. Because many of us believe that what we think is good for them will be bad. If I submit to God's authority, then I lose my freedom. No, you don't lose your freedom. You gain your freedom. There is freedom in submission. There is bondage in disobedience. Listen to me. I'm going to say it again. There's freedom in submission. There is bondage in disobedience. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Woo! That just feels good. That statement goes against all natural reasoning. See, the hardest people to teach kingdom truths to is Western Christians. The hardest people to teach kingdom principles, the kingdom of God, is Western Christians. Why is that? Because we are, we are a people trying to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. Y'all hearing me? We are, we are Western Christians. We live in a democratic society. And so the Bible preaches the kingdom of God. It preaches a kingdom. And, uh, and so it's, it's hard to teach a Western culture that is steeped in democracy about a, a kingdom mindset in a democratic world. Because it's so ingrained in our spirit. It's so ingrained in our spirit. And so what happens is, if we don't have a kingdom mindset, we build our churches on democratic principles. And God, doesn't, God has, does not teach that the church should be built on democratic principles. It is a theocracy. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's a kingdom. It's a theocracy. There is a king, and he sits on the throne, and he is to be worshipped, and he sets the authority in the house. And so to learn that, it's very difficult for us to learn that. And so, because we live in a democratic society, the kingdom of God is not democracy, 
you know, that's great for the U.S. It works, right? And if we try to relate with God with a democratic mindset, you and God will not connect. You can't connect to God with a democratic mindset. He's a king. He is a king. He is a real king. He's not a figurehead like what we see in England. (laughs) She's a figurehead, you know? But he's not only a king, but he's good. And, And he's merciful. He's pure love. He's not wicked, but he's loving. And to know the fact that he is a king... We have to understand that He has rank, He has order, and He has authority. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because He's a king who rules over a kingdom. We are part of the kingdom of God. And God sits on this throne. And He has rank, He has order, and He has authority that He rules His kingdom with. And so what we've done over the years is that we have not taken the time to properly learn what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a church in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be a to follow a king? You know, there's there's a, uh, one of the great teachers on the kingdom of God. He's now passed away, but you could find great books on it. And uh, I don't know if y'all ever remember Miles Monroe. Y'all ever heard of Miles Monroe? If you ever want to learn about kingdom principles. Miles Monroe is one of the great teachers of kingdom principles. Find one of his books on the kingdom of God and read it. It'll blow your mind away. Because he always teaches that there's a difference between a kingdom and, and a democracy. And uh, it was, it, it'll blow you away. Years ago, he had a book out about kingdoms. And I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, but I read it early in my Christian life and it had a profound effect on my life. I would suggest that you find it and get it, and read it. Because if we try to relate to God democratically, we won't connect with Him. We'll miss it. We'll miss that fact. And so, the reality is, it's hard to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. Let's, For instance, in Scripture, let's look at Samuel. Samuel was a prophet that God raised up that when Israel wanted a king, God gave him a king. He gave him a king, right? He gave him Saul. But it was Samuel's responsibility to teach the Israelites and to teach Israel um, how to... uh, to, Samuel had to teach the people about the kingdom and having a monarch that that what you have to do. And and so um, he had to teach the people about how to respond to a kingdom. In a kingdom, he had to teach the children of Israel. And so, being raised in a democratic society, we're trained to think this way. Um, You know, and if we continue to act that way, as the church, we won't connect to God. Democratic forms of government in the body of Christ does not connect to God. They don't work, I'm just telling you. They work in our government, but somewhat... (laughs) I don't know how well it's working today, but, um, um, but if you want to connect to God, we have to find the principles of the kingdom and connect that way. Build our leadership structure that way. Build our house that way. Build our church that way. Understanding that this is a theocracy. God is the one that appoints. God is the one that instructs. God is the one that gives us instruction and training He is the one that speaks to us. And so, (laughs) we come to this place in our Christian walk. And so people are making up Jesus that's not really Him. You know, I believe people are trying to connect to a Jesus that they've concocted or that they've made up. People are making up Jesus that's not really Him. And I believe someday they're going to stand before God and He's going to say, depart from me, I knew you not. Because I want to tell you, people will make up a Jesus. I mean, there are are ministries out there that have just made up a Jesus. It's the Jesus, their Jesus is the Jesus that they've made up. He's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the Jesus of the Word of God. 
He's the Jesus that allows them to remain in their sin and not have to change. Y'all hearing me? I mean, we're living in a culture where, where people will go and they will seek, most people will seek out churches that will come into agreement with whatever lifestyle they're trying to live. And that's the Jesus they follow. You know, that's the Jesus they follow. I don't know if you've ever heard of Philip Yancey, but Philip Yancey was a great writer and author and, and Bible guy. And he tells of a story in one of his books. He said he was counseling a lady one time that came into his office. And, uh, and, and you know, and he was counseling her. And uh, she had happened to be living with her boyfriend. But yet she was, you know, proclaiming to be a believer and be saved. And, uh, and he asked her, he said, he said, do you ever have any conversations with God about uh, living in sin? Does the Holy Spirit ever deal with you about adultery and about living in, in a, an adulterous situation? I mean, the, when you have your... She said, she kept telling him, I spend an hour with the Lord every day in my Bible. That's what she told him. He said, well, in those conversations, does the Lord ever deal with you about the current practice of sin that's in your life? And she responded to him, this is what she said. She said, me and Jesus have an agreement. <laughs> Me and Jesus have an agreement. <laughs> and it's about, it's about friendship. It's not about judgment. <laughs> That's exactly what she said to him. And his response to her, ma'am, you're not talking to Jesus. <laughs> you're talking to someone else. Because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Listen, I'm not being judgmental. And I'm not trying to throw people under under un, you know, unnecessary conviction. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the Jesus of this book. It's not the Jesus that you cock up in your mind so that you can remain in a lifestyle that you want to live and still believe that you're a believer. Because the day you go see the Lord may not be a day that you want to have if you continue to practice and to live in sin. Anyway, I'm going to get off that. I've spent way too much time on it. People are making up what they believe Jesus is. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Is this okay tonight? And, and just, I'm just doing an introduction tonight. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. We're talking about living under the authority of God and uh, being under, under the shelter of the Almighty. And uh, because we have to understand that in order, you can't have church government without a church that understands authority. And we can't have church government unless we understand what does that mean to come under authority and to be under the covering of God. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Let everyone be subjected to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That's a powerful scripture, y'all. All authority comes from God. That's what it says. How many believe that? All authority comes from God. Let me just tell you this. If you meet God today, you meet authority. Because He's the source of all authority. Right? He's the source of all authority. Show me a person who doesn't recognize authority or who resists authority. I'll show you a person who really has never really met God. Someone who doesn't recognize authority or someone who, does, who rejects authority is, is a person who really has never really met God. God and His authority are inseparable. His authority is inseparable in our lives. And uh, those in authority, the Scripture tells us, are placed there by God. Think about that for a moment. All authority comes from God. All authority. Think about that for a moment. All authority comes from God. Every bit of authority comes from God. The man who sits in the White House right now has authority. He has authority by his office and position 
But that is delegated by God. He's been put there by God. Now think about that for a moment. (laughs) It can be sobering, isn't it? But get this. All authority comes from God. But look what God doesn't say. God doesn't say all authority is godly. (laughs) All authority comes from God, but not all authority is godly. There are mean, cruel, wicked, dishonest leaders. Their authority come from God, but their behavior did not. Right? Authority comes from God, but people's behavior while they're in authority does not come from God. God doesn't say all authority is godly because we know all authority is not godly. (laughs) And, And we know that even those that are serving in authority now in our nation, we know, are not all godly. And um, the Bible's full of men in authority, but their actions weren't godly. The Bible's full of them. The Bible's, look at verse 2 of, uh, of Romans 13. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority, against authority, is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. To rebel against authority is to rebel against God. Wow. That's a powerful statement, y'all. To rebel against authority is to rebel against God. I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to be a little transparent with you. And I I hesitate to tell it because it 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 doesn't show me in a good light. But when I first got saved in 1987, I was, working, um, I was working for a hotel. I'd been working for Holiday Inn for a number of years, and uh, I'd held many positions with them. But at the time, I was working as a banquet manager uh, for this hotel in, in uh, Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. And the general manager of the hotel was a woman by the name of Vicki Feener. That was her name. And I want to tell you, This woman was, I mean, if evil had a nickname, it would be her. And she would drive me nuts. I mean, just, I mean, every part of her language had an F word in it. And every disposition was mean-spirited. And just, she just drove me nuts. And, uh, And so, I just got an attitude toward her. I just had an attitude, and she recognized that attitude. I told her one day, <laughs> I said, I said, Miss, <laughs> Miss Feener, I said, the way you live, you're going to split hell wide open, and you need Jesus. I just was like bold. And uh, she said, what makes you think, what gives you the right to think that you can talk to me that way? And, uh, and I threw some religious garbage out there, try to justify myself, and she fired me. I said, you can't fire me. She's like, I sure can. And she fired me. And I was like, I got in my car, I was heading home, I said, that wicked, evil, devilish woman, I said, who give her the right to fire me and lose my job? And man, I was mad. I'm telling you, I was mad. And so, uh, I went and, and told Brother Keith, Cleddy, I told him what happened. And he's like, have you lost your mind? And I said, no. I said, she was mean and evil. And I was just going to point it out. And so he said, listen, he gave me this little teaching on authority and spiritual authority and delegated authority. And you know what he made me do? I was living in the, in the Timothy house at the time, which was a ministry house for men. And, uh, of course, I had to answer to him. And, and he said, listen, this is what you're going to do. Tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to put a suit on and you're going to put a tie on. You're going to go down to that hotel. You're going to walk in her office. You're going to sit in that chair and you're going to apologize to her for how you treated her and how you spoke to her and tell her that that was not comely of a godly man, and that, you know, 
And you're going to ask for her forgiveness and thank her for firing you because she did the right thing. And I said, what? (laughs) So you know what I did? I got up. I put a tie on. I drove down to that hotel. I walked in, knocked on the door. I was dressed up. And she was there. And she's like, what do you want? And I said, well, can I see you for a minute? And I sat down and I apologized to her. I asked her for forgiveness. I apologized for my attitude and for not recognizing that she was my boss and, you know, I shouldn't have said the things I said and that, that forgive me for, the, for my spirit because that wasn't the comely of a Christian man. And, uh, and she said, I forgive you. And, uh, and so I left. I left. And get this. Y'all are not going to believe this. I was, a couple years later, I was sitting in a Sunday school class teaching at Heritage Fellowship. And at the time, me and Laura were just dating. And... Uh, I'm sitting there teaching, and there's a church that's next door to us. It was a Christian church. And there's a church that was next door to us. And Miss Feener drove this Z, she drove a, a, a maroon Z28. And I'm sitting there teaching, and, and I see this Z28 pull into the Christian church. And, uh, and I saw her get out. And she went into the church. I'm like, what? what's going on here? And I thought, my God, that's, that's crazy. So I thought, what in the world was going on? I told Laura, I said, Miss Feener just went into that church. Thing's going to catch on fire. It's going to fall down. Duck. <laughs> There's going to be an explosion. And uh, so what happened was it got me curious. So I still had a friend that worked there. He was a good friend. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, you know, about a year ago, Miss Feener started changing and started coming in and was nicer. She stopped cussing. She stopped, you know, she stopped drinking and embarrassing herself and she, was, she became more kinder. And, and he goes, I wonder what was happening to her. I told him, I said, Nick, I seen her at church. <laughs> and, uh, and so what I found out was is that God began to convict her of her own sin, and she got in church and got right with God. And I thought to myself, what would she have thought had I not gone in there and repented and had not asked for forgiveness, had not recognized her authority in my life? You know, and here God did this work in her anyway. So, (laughs) I just, that story just, it just, it just gripped my heart. It just gripped my heart because, you know, we have to understand that and when it comes to rebellion against authority, um, rebellion is real. And the Bible says here in verse 2 that our rebellion can bring judgment upon ourselves. When we rebel against God's authority, we bring judgment upon ourselves. That's why it's important to be undercover. That's why it's important to be under lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And um, a person who really... I know that tonight I'm making some hard statements, but tough truths sometimes can be hard to swallow in our lives. The question is, do we want peace, provision, and protection in our life. This is why the Bible says wisdom cries out in the streets. And simple ones, listen to me. Your wisdom outside of God is not good for your life. You hear what I'm saying? Your own wisdom outside of God is not good for your life. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I want to read a verse of Scripture there. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse verse 17. It says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must keep an account. Do this so that your work will be a joy 
and not a burden. For that, for that would be of no benefit to you. Listen to what the Scripture says. It's no benefit to you. Some translation says it's unprofitable to you. In other words, it didn't say it was by rebelling that it's unprofitable to the leader. It says that by not submitting to those who God has placed over you, whether it be your job, whether it be uh, relationships, whether it be church, whether it be where you serve or whatever, by rebelling, it's not profitable to you. It's unprofitable to you. There's no benefit. You lose the benefit of being undercover and being submitted to the things of God. And so we must learn to do that. God gives us covering in our life through spiritual authority. God gives us covering in our life through spiritual authority. Turn with me to Job chapter, Job chapter 36. I, gotta, I think I'm getting close. Yes, i got to close. We're not going to get to some of it tonight, but I'm going to close with this. Close with this part. Job chapter 36. Chapter 36 and verse 11. Look what the Bible says. If they obey and serve Him, they will, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity. You know what that is? That's provision. If we will obey and serve Him, you will spend the rest of your days in prosperity. And their years in contentment. What is contentment? That is peace. Right? Prosperity and peace. Those who serve, those who obey God, those, and you will live in peace and you'll live in prosperity. But look at the next verse. It says, But if they do not listen, they will perish by the sword and die without knowledge. You know what that is? That's lack of protection. Your rebellion can remove the protection of God over our lives. In other, in other words... What is healthy church government? Let me just close with this tonight. Nations, businesses, churches, families rise and fall because of their governing structure. When, it, when institutions are in the incubation stage, it seems as if the governing structure doesn't matter. Everything is organic and pure. All hands on deck. Everybody is sacrificing personal interests and, per, and, and perspectives uh, for the good of the whole. Um, if it could stay that way, that would be great, but it doesn't. I remember, many of you remember when this church started. You remember, all hands were on deck. People were sacrificially giving. They were serving. And really, it didn't matter what the leadership structure was because we, we were living under the euphoria of of the incubation stage of a church. We were living on the stage where everything was new and fresh. There was an excitement. There was a, a joy. There was a, a, a camaraderie. People, you know, people were just living under that. Making sacrifices every day and every week for the goodness and for the betterment of the church and the people. The fact is, if it could stay that way, it'd be great, but it can't and it doesn't. Church as a growing institution needs structure to maintain order and, to, 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 and processes to guide its decision. It needs governance. We have to recognize that church health is more important than pneumatical growth and church programs. Let me say that again. Listen to me. Church health is more important than numbers, than the growth of numbers and church. The health of this church is more important than the numbers that we have. Right? I'd rather have 50 people and a healthy church than 500. Huh? Y'all hearing me? And a bunch of divided vision in the house. Right? And a bunch of church programs that aren't working anyway. <laughs> we just do them because 
We just learn religiously to do them. Church help is important. Church, church health coupled with sustained growth requires good church government. Let me just say this. God is all about people. The pressures that come with growth don't change that reality. The apostles recognized that in Acts chapter 7. There was one group within the dynamically growing Jerusalem church was not uh, receiving proper care in response to the apostles. The apostles appointed processes and systems and structures to meet that need and accommodated the growth. Now I'm going to say this in closing. New levels of growth require systems and processes to care for the people and sustain the growth of the church. Listen, the higher the level you go, the greater the growth, the greater the importance on church government and church preparation to receive. What would happen on Sunday if 500 people walked into this church? It'd be difficult to handle. You know why? Because we don't have the governmental structure to handle that many people. We don't have the ushers in place yet to do that. We don't have the children's church that is, that is designed to do that. We don't have... It'd be great, right? We'd all rejoice. But to sustain that, there'd have to be a change in the governmental system of the church. We'd have to put processes in place and policies in place where we could sustain growth, where we can sustain the health of the church. And so it's important. Church government is important. It's important because if we're going to go to new levels, we're going to have to create structures that are going to allow us to go to new levels. Healthy governance ensures the care for people as well as, as for those who provide that care. So the people, not only do we have to prepare for those who have not yet come yet, but we have to prepare us that we're healthy spiritually to handle that type of growth. And so church governance has to play a part in that. And so we're going to go through and learn and talk about it and put in process you know, healthy church structures so that we're healthy, so that we remain healthy. I believe that's God's desire for us is to be a healthy church. Stand with me tonight if you would. Sorry for taking a few minutes longer than normal. Um, I believe, and I'm just going to tell you, that I'm preaching something that of everything that I've ever preached in this church in ten years, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. There's an urgency about this. There's an urgency that we have to be in line with God and His Word. And over the next few weeks, I may say something that may be hard for you to swallow <laughs> or even take it, but I'm telling you, I'm going to back it all up with the Word of God. All of it. All of it. Some of you are going to be surprised what God says about church structure and about the New Testament. I can see y'all worrying right now. What in the world's he going to do? What's he going to say? You know? I'm just telling y'all. I'm just, it, it's a, it's something we've got to deal with. Something we got to deal with. We got to have leaders in right places. Leaders have to know what they're, what they're called to do, what their boundaries are. I as a pastor have to know what my boundaries are, what God requires of me, what your place is. <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> I'm going to say this, I don't want to be offended by it. But there's not one board meeting in the New Testament.
Because the New Testament is not about the New Testament is not about rules and regulation and the structure of a church. In the New Testament, the structure of a church is based upon character. Not about position. I'm going to teach you that. It's character. Elders are, are, are lead by character. Pastors lead by character. Church government is led by character. Not by not by position or structure or thoughts or philosophy. Right? Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.